Power makes everything better. <clears throat> Amen. Praise God. Okay, so what I have in my heart to today uh, is the first couple of sessions will be uh, instruction sessions. We'll minister to you from the Word about raising kids. Uh, amen. And touching base on that. And uh, what, a, what an awesome responsibility. What a wonderful thing. And uh, so we'll talk about that as the Lord would help us. Again, as you have questions or comments, we're interested in those. But then when we get into the third hour, uh, we'd really love for that to be your last opportunity. You know, ask us any questions, you know, fire both barrels. So we'll set, sort of set at least half of that session aside uh, for question and answer. Uh, and then we would like to save the remaining moments to, to lay hands on you and bless you. Uh, amen. You know, I was thinking about this on the drive over. Uh, do You know, we, we've seen so much of laying on a hands for impartation, for endowment, spiritual equipment, uh, for healing. Uh, God's dealt with me about prosperity. There's an anointing on our lives for prosperity. And, uh, but you remember... Uh, Abraham, he put his hands on Jacob and he blessed his son. He blessed his family. Amen. And, and uh, then Isaac, that, that family blessing was such a powerful thing, still is today, that um, Rebecca connived, right? And she made sure that her favored son uh, got that blessing uh, instead of uh, what Esau, right? And so, and then Jacob, at the end of his life, he, he leaned on his staff and the Spirit of God came on him and he prophesied about each one of his sons and uh, about their future and blessed them. So it's a scriptural thing. Amen. So we're believing for God to show up and show out in a big way. Uh, whatever you'd need from us, amen, in this area of family uh, blessing uh, that you'd receive it. All right. Uh, amen. So praise God. Well, I'd like you to turn now. You have a handout that doesn't have a title. It starts with uh, Proverbs 22. That's the, there's a sermon series that I printed out that I taught in my church. And uh, on the next page, which is the back of that, that front page, you'll see that it's called Parenting Principles. And you could actually turn that page over to where you see Judges chapter 2. That's where we're going to turn. And so that's the handout we want to reference. The other handout was the handout I promised you yesterday. Remember, I, I ministered to you about the four laws of marriage. Anybody know what that is? The four laws of marriage? Priority, pursuit, possession, purity. Good, excellent, amen. So you have had some coffee this morning. Glory, <laughs> amen. All right, so let me, let's all open our Bibles to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. And to say something I've said already to you, and that is that um, on God's side, He's going to take our family life, our household life, and that'll be a proving ground, it'll be a qualifying ground for us for other things that God has for us. So a call to full-time ministry, it's not just um, is there evidence of that call, can you handle yourself behind the pulpit? It's like my wife said, uh, God's interested in the fruit of our life. Because the gift to preach, that's on His side. And it works. 
the, gift of the, the gifts of the Spirit, when they manifest, they know what to do. Yes, we learn. Yes, we learn how to yield, become more skillful in those things. But they, those are operations of the Spirit. Amen. But the fruit of the Spirit and a Christ-like character is something that you and I develop on purpose, day by day, grinding that out, line on line, precept upon precept, being self-aware. You know, I don't know about you, but the way the Lord is with me, He's always got me about a short list of three or four items that He wants dealt with in my life. And He really doesn't add to that until I get those things handled. He's not going to put too much on my plate. And I've learned this. He might let a decade go by. And I, if I still haven't got one, two, three, four checked off, well, there's no need in him adding number four, five, six. But I know this. When I get one, two, three, four handled, guess what? He goes, here's a new piece of paper. I know you didn't see this about yourself, son, but now I want that attitude changed. I want this habit laid down. And it's where the real work of, Christi of Christianity and, and development and discipleship happens. You and the Lord, and you and, and your pastor as God is, you know, not necessarily in face-to-face -face interaction with your pastor, but by being where you're supposed to be, right? Coming to church, submitting to the life of your spiritual parents, and you get answered, all those wonderful things, right? So family life is huge. Like I said at the outset, it's not a, it's not a side issue. And Satan on his side is going to try to disqualify you through your family life. And so you, have to, you don't have to fear that, but you guard, you're guarded, you're sober about your family life. I'm not just keeping the door of unbelief shut. I'm not just working to keep the door of personal sin shut to the devil. But I want all my doors relative to my family shut to the devil too. Amen? And so when uh, kids come along, when kids are present, uh, it is a, a heavenly assignment. And uh, I can't become so overly focused and overly consumed on my pastoral call, on my call to ministry, that I neglect my call as a dad or my responsibilities as a husband. To do that is to disqualify yourself. Remember I told the Lord when he was dealing with me about ministry, uh, getting me to sell out to that call? And I said, well, God, that's fine, but I'm not willing to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. And he immediately spoke back to me and said, you'll never have to. God cares about your family. We've seen he's, family's his idea. And I don't know about you, babe, but the longer I, we go, the more I see that maybe the weightiest call on my life is not to pastor people, but it's to raise and nurture and equip Faith, Rex, and Ryan for what they're called to do. Now see, I'm about to turn 49, another year I'll be 50, and I'm going to live a lot of years. Lord Terry's is coming after that, so I'm not going anywhere. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I have enough foresight to see there's an end out there for me somewhere, and should the Lord tarry is coming, having equipped them will be vital, vital to the plan of God. Amen. So I appreciate my call to preach. It's an honor for me to pastor people, but if I effectively pastor and shepherd people and lose my own house, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul, lose his own family, lose his own heritage? 
Yeah, amen. So we want to say some things to you today. I know some of you are not married yet, but you will be. Some of you, you're married, but you don't have kids yet, but you will. And some of you got kids in the home. Some of you, you have grandkids, right? But there's a little one around somewhere that you could be blessed by this material and this understanding. So in Judges chapter 2, we'll pick it up in reading in verse number 7. And it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord. So he's dealing with Joshua and his generation, right? Uh, that, that God did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez. Okay, praise God, wherever that is. Uh, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also, uh, notice this, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation. Who would that be? It would be their children, wouldn't it? Praise God. And there arose another generation after them. Oh, here comes the which knew not the Lord. Amen. I hope you brought a Bible you could mark in. Right? It's like Brother Copeland said, you know, don't bring a, do a Bible to a meeting that's, you know, an antique Bible, whatever. Bring a Bible you can mark in. Amen. So notice this generation knew God. Joshua's generation knew God. Joshua's generation saw all of God's mighty acts that God did bringing them out of Egypt and then all of the acts of conquering the land that were accomplished under Joshua's tenure as the leader. But now they're off the scene. And now their children are coming up and it says they knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and they serve Balaam. So, you know, if I were you, you might mark another generation. And then you would want to mark which knew not the Lord. You don't want to over, skip over that. And then you can see the first result of that. They did evil. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served Balaam, a false god. Then notice the first three words of verse 12. What's it say? And they forsook the Lord. That's not good. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods. Ah, look at that. They followed other gods, little g, and of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves uh, unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord. So it says it again. And they served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he, you would want to mark this, he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wow. And so it says, as they went out, God was against them everywhere they went. And so we have this passage here copied for you on your handout, and I highlighted in or bolded some of those things. And you can see at the bottom of that page that uh, it's tragic that a generation comes up that does not know the Lord. And when you have children who come up not knowing the Lord, the outcome is certain. 
You know, there are laws and there are just principles. Two plus two equals four. Every time, amen, you want to write that problem vertical, two plus two is four. You want to go this way, it's the same thing. Amen. We don't have to wonder what will happen to the next generation if they, don't, if they grow up not knowing the Lord. Amen. And you have enough of that go on, and you could just look around America. You could just look at the culture. Amen? Go to the mall, go to the movie, go to school, get on social media, look around, pay attention. You are looking at children who have become adults, who have become leaders, and now leaders of the nation. They've all, we've had enough generations that they're in the fabric of every leadership position from the top to the bottom in America. And what can we see? They don't know God. They don't know God. Oh, America's a Christian nation. It used to be. It used to be because the people that founded this nation knew God. And they made sure that their children knew God. But we're not living in that day today. So children who come up and they don't know God, what are they going to do? Well, the first thing it said was what? That they forsook the Lord. You're not going to serve and stay close to, stay loyal to, be faithful to a God you don't know. Amen. And uh, when, when you forsake the Lord, you're going to do evil. I'm not sure I may have gotten the order wrong, but they did evil, didn't they? They did evil things. That's what people do who don't know God. They do evil things. And so the ultimate outcome is so tragic because not knowing God led them to forsaking God. Their forsaking God led them to acts of evil. Their acts of evil did what it does every time. It provoked the Lord to anger. And in judgment, they were turned over and they could not stand before their enemies. So if we as parents don't do the right thing, the outcome of our children and grandchildren is predicted. It's predictable. If we as parents leave our children's spiritual lives to chance, the outcome is certain the devil will get them. If they don't know God, amen, then they're going to follow this same path. And this is tragic. Now, when we think of Joshua, we think of a man who was passionate about the Lord. And he was. Do you remember when he was serving as Joshua's second in command that uh, he would be there with Moses at the tent of meeting and he was allowed to be closer than others to the presence of God and he would hear God's voice speak. You know, God will bring you in. If you're called to it, he'll bring you in to the one in charge close so that you can see and observe and watch. It's not your time but you're being prepped for your time. Amen. And it would say that Moses would lead that, leave that time of meeting with God, but Joshua would stay. He would stay there and linger in the presence of God. So see, he was hungry. He was hungry to know God. And he did a lot right in his life. He was faithful to, jo uh, to, uh, to Moses. He was one of the 12 spies. And he was one only he and Caleb stayed true to faith. And so he was a faith guy. And then when Moses died, he was the one that the, the baton fell to to lead Israel. 
And he was able to do with God's help what Moses had failed to do, to get Israel across the Jordan, past the walls of Jericho. And under Joshua's leadership, they took great portions of the land that God had promised to them. Amen? But Joshua ultimately must be seen as a failure. In a great sense. Why would that be? Because victory only lasted as long as he did. Yet he was a success himself. He was a success in his assignment that God gave him personally. But he was a failure as a leader to create a culture that passed on. Moses failed in his most primary assignment to finish because he struck the rock. He couldn't go in. So in that sense, he didn't finish as high as he could have. But he succeeded where Joshua failed in that the generation that came up after him stayed knew God, knew the Word, stayed loyal to God, and it extended another generation. But Joshua, he succeeded in his personal assignment, but he failed to pass it on. And so victory for the nation was fleeting. It was, it was, it was quick to go away. And that's really sad. That's, that's really tragic. Amen. Dr. Summerall made this statement. He was talking primarily to preachers and heads of ministries, but we'll, we'll apply the principle. He said, uh, if you don't leave a successor, you're a failure. I don't care what you accomplished. You know, Jesus, his individual assignment was, whoo, and he succeeded to the letter. Thank God. But he also, right, he spent, a, if he wasn't advancing his personal mission, he was doing his secondary mission was to pour into that 12 and then, to, and then into the 70 to make sure that when he ascended and left the earth, that what he started would continue and in fact grow and build. And thank God it did. So I wanted to start here this morning to let us see the gravity, the importance, and what can happen to a family that if we're just so busy pursuing our call, and we, we, we're so consumed with the day-to-day that we forget that there's a generation coming up. I said, there's a generation coming up. Uh, and if, if, if God is going to have a generation after us that He can work with, that loves Him, that knows Him, that will serve Him, we can't leave it to Him alone. He has put those kids in our hands as a steward. Amen. And, uh, you know, you, you should know this. You're, if you're blessed with children, when that child shows up, you, God expects you to raise that child. And there are grave consequences that will come for for failing to give that the proper regard and proper attention you know because of well I don't know it's just our pattern Amber and I almost dated we dated for almost four and then we uh, were married and we didn't have our first child for almost four years and then all of our kids are four years apart I don't know what it is about the number four I, I do know this that uh you know, being uh, basically by ourselves, not having any extended family round about us, we needed our 
child we had to get up, get moving, get a little bit of independence about them before we started over. We wanted to know what it was like again to be able to go to a movie and, you know, have a little independence before we started this thing all over again. And so we did. But one of the things that frustrated me initially is that I was so conscious and I was so aware that the pace and the progress of our church and our ministry was, was moving at a snail's pace in that season of our life. And eventually the Lord dealt with me and said, listen, you're just, I know you're gung-ho. You want, the, you want to move ahead. You want the church to advance and, and all of the different things, you know, uh, books and different things that God has in me and for me and that are still coming out there ahead of me. The pace of the development of those were minuscule. It's almost like we're just treading water. But what God, what I just began to see, I never heard of him speak to me specifically, but the overall, he just helped me to see that in this season, my kids are small and they, they deserve the attention. Those are formidable years. And we don't have grandma and grandpa to dump kids on. And God, God just said, I'm slowing the pace of your ministry because I care about those kids. You have kids, just know you better raise them. That's like Paul said, I would that all of you be like me and not even be married. Right? Because when you're married, that spouse deserves. You'd be violating the plan of God to not devote the proper amount of time to your kids. So if you're going to have them, God expect and you do know, you know, every time we would come along, we'd say, hey, Dad, Dr. Dufresne, we're having another baby. And he'd lean in and go, you do know how that happens, don't you? <laughs> and I would just kind of say, yes, Dad, we, we know how that happens. And, uh, you know, babies don't come along by accident, you know. Two plus two equals four, one plus one. Amen. Okay, so that talk was kind of yesterday. So, But you understand, you could see the gravity of it. Let's go to Malachi real quick, chapter 2. Is this okay? You see, I, I, I seem to do this, and, and I, um, I like it. You may not. Don't tell me if you don't. But before I get into the nuts and bolts of the hows and the this and the that, I like to start with the why and the gravity of it. The, we have to catch a vision, right? We have to understand the, the preciousness and the value of married life and of family life and then of parenting so that we'll be motivated because Amber and I, we're going to get on an airplane tomorrow. We're going to be home. We'll be away from you. And, uh, but these, you're going you're gonna to march on but when you get into the meat and the throes and long nights and the challenges of raising kids, you just remember you had them. And they're a huge part of God's plan. God said to Adam and Eve, a brand new married couple, and He blessed them, and He said, have dominion. And then what did He say? Multiply. Replenish the earth. What does that mean? He says, you know, enjoy each other and have kids. Yeah. Amen. Not all the other stuff. That's, what, that was, that's, the, that's, the, that's the first thing that 
they heard out of the divine as living beings. So lest we minimize these other parts of our callings that are important, you know, above. And we'll see this here in Malachi. Uh, Praise God. Malachi, Malachi, where am I headed? Yeah, chapter 2, verse number 13. And could someone, if they have an electronic, or maybe you have one, a new living. You could help me with a new living translation. Got it? Okay, so... Uh, I'm coming to you in just a second. So Malachi 2.13, And this you have done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore, nor receives it with goodwill at your hand. So here God is saying, I am noticing the crying of this lady at this prayer altar. It will become evident when I read the New Living. And he says, because of this, I'm not receiving your offerings anymore. I want God to be able to honor and receive my offerings anyway. Yet you say, wherefore? Wherefore? Why? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. Against whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of your covenant? And did not he make one? Yet he uh, said, the, he had he, or excuse me, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Amen. So the New Living says, here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays no attention to your offerings and does not accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. I'm telling you, this stuff matters to God. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. Oh, Father, I want... Show me the will of God. What is the will of God? I want the will of God. Well, you start with the plain will of God. You start with the general will of God. That's where you start. Then He'll deal with you about the specifics. But if you're not going to pay attention to the black and the white what's written, what's plain, then you're really not deserving of what the Holy Ghost would say to you individually. What does God want? He wants godly children out of your marriage. Now, listen, don't, some people, you, you hear, me, hear me wrong. Does that mean every single married couple is to have children? No, but... The dominant thought and the dominant idea and the mind of God. If God is going to have another generation come up after us, will God have a people on earth that love Him after you're gone? It will only be because we do our part to have children and then turn them into godly children. He didn't say, I want children out of your union. He said, I want godly children out of your union so he says so guard your heart and remain loyal 
to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce. Uh, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful, thank you, to your wife. Ah, wow. That's kind of a heavy revy, isn't it? So we see that extra stuff. I didn't really take us to Malachi to see how important it is that we be faithful to our spouse. But I took you there to see what does God want. He wants another generation that will love and serve Him. And that is a premier high call on the assignment of every Christian in this generation that is of childbearing age. And the fact that those kids are breathing and exist in your home does not mean that you've done this. How do I know that? Well, let's go to Proverbs 22 now. Yeah, amen. I miss my kids. <laughs> amen. Proverbs 22, verse 6, and you might actually flip back to the very front because we're going to flip around on this handout a little bit. And I give you some different translations of this verse. You've heard this verse before. But having, I think a lot of uh, humans, their parenting strategy is have them, keep them alive. Until they're old enough to kick them out. And a lot of parents, I can see the, their attitude and their actions, what they say is their children are in the way. Their children are in the way. They're an inconvenience to them. They're an annoyance to them. It's just awful. Yeah, just terrible. And they don't see the preciousness of what they've been given and the weightiness of their assignment. Remember why God chose Abraham? Uh, yeah, I've heard Pastor Morgan preach on this verse so well. It's just so wonderful. We're not going there. Genesis 18, 18 and 19. That God chose Abraham because He knew that He would command His children after Him to keep the way of the Lord in justiceness, justice and righteousness. Amen. God chose Abraham not just for his faith, but because he was a family man. God's a, God is, that's what he's interested in. God is, that's what the Bible is a story of. God and his family. God authoring a family, God losing his family, and God going to the extreme to give his own son to get his family back. Amen. So Proverbs 22, verse number 6, it says, train up. It doesn't say keep alive, <laughs> right? Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So you could see on the handout, the New Living Second Edition translation says, direct your children. This is purposeful. This takes skill. This takes intention. This takes a mom and a dad that know what they're doing. And they're doing some things on purpose. Amen. It's not just, well, I'm a great parent. You got a roof over your head. You're not naked. You ate something today. That's just pathetic thinking. So it says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they're older, they will not leave it. The Amplified says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And I love this 
in keeping with his individual gift or bent. Remember, we talked about bents earlier. Amen. So we, we can't take a cookie-cutter approach to parenting. Not just across families, across individual kids. Amber and I are the same parents. We have kind of the same parenting philosophy together. But faith is not Ryan, and Ryan is not faith, and Rex is not either one of them. And to be a good, skillful, godly parent, according to this verse, is going to require that you get some insight about their individual giftings and personalities and their bents. Now, if I have a child, if any one of my children are more push-it-to-the-edge type kids, it's Ryan. Now, don't put her in this box of rebelliousness. Or, you know, she's got a strong will. But if, if any of the three like to know where the line is so that they can get real close to the line, it's Ryan. It's Ryan. Now, Rex wants to know where the line is so that he can move infinitely beyond it. Yeah. He doesn't want to see the line. It's, it's just preciousness about him. So in, in knowing that, I can't, Amber and I can't just take, treat every little situation the same with them. We have to be firmer maybe and a little stronger with Ryan. But with Rex, we have to actually encourage him, listen, you're not in sin, son. It's okay. You're all right. It's going to be all right, honey. God loves you. He's, you know, it's like an eggshell kind of thing with him. And uh, this was so funny, and you might want to tell some of this. But uh, when Rex was much younger, you could not get a straight answer out of him. You, you could not. You couldn't. I mean, simple stuff. Can you give it? I'm trying to think of an example. Like, what's your favorite color? Well, you know. Or, or simple thing of, did you turn your light off in your room? And he might think pretty positively that he knows the answer. But he knows, he heard about liars. And he heard that liars go to hell. And they burn with the lake, in the lake of fire and brimstone. And so he, he's going to put loops and, yeah. and outs and, well, I think I did, but I'm not sure. And he's not trying to be evasive. He doesn't want to be absolute and get it wrong. He just couldn't get a straight answer out of the boy. Do you like that? Well, I, you know, I, it's just hilarious. No, he's not really like that anymore. As much, I mean, he's 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 matured a lot, but he's still he's still that way. And so, see, there's got to be this this more intentional flow coming from mom and dad of positive affirmation and confirmation. And it's okay, but with Ryan, you know, it's more of the hmm hmm hmm. You remember where the line is, kind of a thing, you know. And you guys have to figure this out. Uh, and it, Lord willing, with time in these two sessions, this one and the one coming up, 
in talking about correction and discipline, um, you can't just, I don't think it's right to just have, this is a blank recipe, this is how, and I treat all my children the same. Right? I mean, some kids, they need a spanking with every meal. You know, just, just, what did I do, mommy? I don't know, but you need one. Just, just, just to keep, to keep that kid in line because of that, that, have you ever seen that in a kid, that little, all, everything on the outside, but you say something to them and there's that twinkle in their eye and you're like, whoa, you ever see that in your children? You better just get over yourself if you have this different personality and just say, I got me a wild Mustang here. And there's, we, we love Mustangs, right? But a Mustang's going to have to be broken and trained and that will harnessed. But really, all my, most of my kids, even Ryan, you know, she might like to know where the line is, but if she touched it and I went like that or mom gave her that look, she immediately went, you know, in her front. And oh, she always has me when she turns that mouth under. I'm like, okay, forget it, you know, come here. <laughs> But what did this say? Direct the kids. Direct them, but direct them in keeping, in harmony with their individual gift or bent. And that's going to demand something. You may have to talk to God about your children. Father, help me. I need to know something about my kid. Now, I'm going to have to help you, guide you through this. Uh, you'll have to flip some pages. I wanted to show you this out of this passage some Hebrew commentary I had dug out. Yeah, well, it'll be easy. Just keep turning until you see the highlighted section. You guys okay? Yes. All right. So in studying this passage, I came across a commentary called the Adam Clark's Commentary. And I was reading what he had to say about the Hebrew structure of this phrase, train up your children in the way that he should go. And so let's read this a little bit. So he says, train up a child in the way he should go. The Hebrew of this clause is, he said, curious. And then he gives you the, uh, the English alliteration of those Hebrew words. I'm not even going to try to go there. But it literally says, he says, initiate the child at the opening, at the mouth of his path. I thought this is so interesting. Uh, well, well, we'll speak on a little bit, read on before I make comment. When he comes to the opening of the way of life, being able to walk alone and to choose to stop at his entrance and begin a series of instructions, then he says, how he is to conduct himself in every step he takes, show him the duties, the dangers, and the blessings of the path. I thought that's so great. What is my job as a parent? To show my children the duties, the dangers, and the blessings that are associated with the path. Now, you could, the most general way you could apply that is the path of life. But more specifically, and we'll see, this is what he means, their path. So when Dr. Dufresne dedicated Rex. We had him do Rex's baby dedication. And he's holding Rex and he's done this dedication. And he says, you all do know I'm holding a preacher in my hands here. 
Well, so this is easy. Now that bore witness with mom and I. That bore witness with us. And uh, so all this time, Rex is 16 now, uh, we've not been talking to him about mechanical engineering. We've not been putting him in science fairs. We're not talking to him about his, his aptitude for math, although he's an extremely intelligent person academically. But see, that's not his path. Mom and I's job is to not just parent him to adulthood, but to direct him, and he's, what he's alluding to is as your son approaches the opening, the mount where he's going to have to begin to walk alone and walk this path of preaching, walk this path of ministry, walk this path of this particular call, that Amber and I, Mom and I, we instruct him in line with his individual gift and bent and to train him, to equip him to know what are the duties, what are the responsibilities that go with this path? What are the dangers? And what are the blessings? Wow, don't you just love that? I love that. Amen. So whatever, you know, uh, you know, you got little Johnny, little Sally there. You need to know. You need to pay attention. You need to talk to God. Now, I don't know everything about my children's futures. Mom and I, we don't. But we're constantly looking to the Lord. And we're looking at them to see the spark and where the anointing lands and where their grace is. And when we see that, ah, let's foster that. Let's equip toward that. Amen? So we're really seeing Ryan right now super, super interested in video and graphics and, and doing all that. And she's had open door here to come and this team here teaching her and, and then at Texas and, and different things. And we're just feeding that. You know what? Because our church, a ministry in today's day, you need that supply. And that may not be all she's called to do, but right, there'll be proving time in the areas of ministry and whoo, why not? So when you see a sail go up of excitement or something, put some wind behind that sail. I just, I just like this, this whole thing a lot. And so he says, as your child prepares to come to the opening of the way in life, being able to walk alone, choose. In other words, he says, have this moment where you're with your child and you're stopped at the entrance of the path. And you just remind them that last time, praise God. Now, you remember, you have responsibilities, and these are the dangers, right? And these are the blessings that are going to come on you if you walk this path. And then, and then help, and then that doesn't mean you're over, but see, then they're, they're, you've launched them out in the will of God. Not just to go out there and breathe air and pay bills. But you've equipped them. See, part of my job as a pastor is to equip my people to know how to discover what they're called to do, and then equip them to do that. That's part of a pastor's job. That's part of a parent's job. Amen. And there are responsibilities with every call. There are dangers with every call, every path. Amen. And then there are blessings. And so it goes on and says, Give him directions how to perform the duties, how to escape the dangers, 
and how to secure the blessings. Amen. I like that. You know, so as our kids have come up, they're older now, and we've come to a much greater, more blessed position financially. Uh, but, when, but I have to remind our kids, hey, listen, when you, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. Amen. And to help them understand, here's how we did Here's the lessons uh, of what we had to do and to stay faithful and grit our teeth and not quit and so forth and so on. And uh, so which all lie before him. So we're continuing to read, coming up on the break. But fix these things on his or her mind by daily inculcation. What's that mean? It's almost like a word that you don't like, which is indoctrination. We don't like that word because usually it has a negative meaning. Right? But here, you, you've probably heard this. Parents say, well, I'm going to live, I love Jesus, but I'm going to let them decide. Uh, well, you know, they need to make their own mistakes. That's just ignorance gone to seed. You know, my mom, God bless her, she didn't know. She was unsaved, right? But the way my mom handled me when I uh, got my driver's license, she said, well, I know you're going to drink. Just don't drive when you do. Well, when I heard that, I didn't drive, but I sure drank. <laughs> Amen. And that was the way, even with girls. She said, well, I know you're a boy. I know you're going to unhanded me a package. And said, just be smart about it. Well, see, that's just not good thinking. Right? I love my mom. She didn't, but that's just unrenewed thinking. She didn't equip me. She launched me on a path that was wrong, and then she didn't equip me to even be right on that path. You know what I mean? It was just bad. Amen. And I just, I, I, I did what I did. I'm responsible for it, but I didn't get any help from my parents, <laughs> you know, when it came to a couple of those key issues. And uh, so, no, we, 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 want to, we want to show our kids the way. We want, to, uh, we want to shine the light. This is the path. This is the way. This is how you do this. You know, when it, especially when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to our Lord, when it comes to faith, is it right or not? Is Jesus our Lord or isn't He? Is He resurrected from the dead or isn't He? Well, then what are you insecure about? The Muslims aren't insecure about what they believe. They get a hold of your kid and you're all wishy-washy. They'll blow hell wide open and God will look at you. You'll have your own kids' blood on your hands. He said, train them. And Joshua failed, as we saw in Judges, to raise up a generation to, to know the Lord. That was, their first, that was the first thing it says. A generation came up, Judges 2, that did not know the Lord. That is our note. If I do anything, if I do anything, it's not going to be able to you know, show them how to make the cheerleading team. But you're going to know God coming up in my home. Yeah. Fix these things on his mind until their impression is become indelible. I mean branded on them. Brand righteousness. Brand the right standard. Faith and holiness and different things. Then lead him to practice. Right? Good, good coaching is what? 
I'm going to show you what to do. And you watch. Then we're going to do it together. Then you're going to do it while I help you. Then you're going to do it alone. I heard Pastor Nancy say, no one wants to be flown by a self-taught pilot. <laughs> right? Isn't that right? Well, how do they do that when you just don't know? How do they become... Well, they're going to get in the cockpit and they're going to not do nothing. They're going to watch the instructor do it over and over and over. Then they're going to do it together. Then he's going to do it with the instructor's active involvement. And only after he's shown proficiency in all those areas will he ever step out to get to do it himself. It's a good, good model for what he's talking about for parenting. And so lead him to practice by slow and almost imperceptible degrees. And so you don't, you don't give them more than they can handle. Right? You don't give them more than they can handle. Uh, glory to God. But you, you do put on them what they can handle. Till each indelible impression becomes as strongly re- a strongly repeated habit. You know, whatever your kids come up and do habitually, that's you. That's all you. They got that from you. The good, the bad. They got that from you. Beg incessantly the blessing of God on all this teaching and discipline. What's he saying here? Pray as you go. Ask God's blessing on your parenting efforts. And then you have obeyed the injunction of the wisest of men. Talking about Solomon, right? Writing Proverbs 22, 6, train your children. So Adam Clark is saying in his commentary, until you've done all this we've been talking about, you can't say you've obeyed this instruction. Nor is there any likelihood that such impressions shall ever be effaced or that such habits will ever be destroyed. In other words, when you, why is it, it? It's not just this blanket. It's not magic. Proverbs 22, 6 is not magic. Train up a child in the way that they shall go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. That's not magic. And that's not you bringing them to Sunday school. But he talks about the indelible, the constant, the coaching, the impressions, the branding over and over and over for a lifetime until they step on the path. Those are habits, Adam Clark says, that are not easily departed from. Amen? Wow. We're at the break. (laughs) Okay, we'll come back in about seven minutes, all right?